Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. It's no secret that leadership is a skill set that employers value, but unfortunately, everyone in a leadership position is not an effective leader. Linda Dooley, my guest today, is among other things, a philanthropist who has devoted her energy and resources to training rising leaders to better prepare them to assume leadership jobs in the future. Linda is the president and founder of Dooley and Company and Dooley Leadership Experience. Dooley and Company is a management consultancy which was established in 1998 after Linda's extensive, impressive corporate career in workforce and leadership development. The Dooley Leadership Experience, which Linda launched in 2008, is a charitable organization underwritten and managed exclusively by Dooley and Company. Linda Dooley describes herself as a connector who is passionate about providing learning experiences and networking opportunities that help people see and seize their full potential and give back with gusto, as Linda says, to their companies, communities, and careers. I think of that as Linda's three C's, companies, communities, and careers. She is a firm believer in the power of curiosity and conversations. More C's. Keep those C's in mind. Curiosity and conversation. And Linda thrives in learning from and about others. Volunteerism, appreciation, and daily workouts are the core of Linda's DNA. Welcome, Linda. Beverly, it's great to be with you. How are things in Massachusetts? So the Berkshires have gotten warm again, but I can tell you Monday and Tuesday, and I have a trainer and I work outside with my trainer, it was 30 degrees. It was nasty cold and it's too early to be this cold, but it's uh, warming up to the 70s. It's still beautiful and the colors are popping. Oh, I can only imagine. Now, Linda, you had an interesting career. Please share your, your educational background and your personal employment journey with our listeners. I'm sure they'll be fascinated. Sure. Actually, let's start before my educational background. I was raised in a family business, and that has really been a formative aspect of my subsequent professional development and current career. 
Both of my parents had their own businesses. So I was raised with a uh, working mom at a time when none of my colleagues had, uh, none of my friends had working moms. My mother had a commercial printing business, probably one of the very few women in the United States running a commercial printing business at that time. There aren't too many today either. My father was a newspaper publisher. He was an editor and publisher. So I grew up working from the time I was eight for my parents and got to see all aspects of a family business. And that really forged a lot of my career development, as I mentioned. I learned the value of every single employee in a family business. Didn't matter of their rank, but they enabled me to have dinner at night and eventually go to college. And I also learned how to see and understand all aspects of a business, not just one single dynamic of the business. And so uh, growing up with with that viewpoint and with that experience was, I I didn't realize until later in life, invaluable. But uh, I did go to Syracuse University for my undergraduate degree. My undergraduate degree was in uh, English. I was a liberal arts major. I also did receive, but not until 10 years after my undergraduate degree, a master's degree in international relations from Drew University. So I had a 10-year gap, and I'm glad I actually took that time out of college. So my first job out of college was not going to go back and work for my folks. I had done that since I was eight, and I also needed to prove that I could do things on my own. So I uh, searched heavily my senior year. It was a terrible, terrible job market. Successful to land a job that I graduated on a Sunday and started working on a Monday as a daily newspaper reporter in Philadelphia. And I spent uh, four years working on a daily newspaper that subsequently went out of business, closed because uh, it was an afternoon newspaper daily newspaper. It was uh, Philly with the Philadelphia Bulletin, and people weren't reading afternoon newspapers anymore. I did get another job with a daily newspaper in the Philly area in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and stayed on in journalism for another year before I said, I, I think I need to explore something else. Even though this was in my DNA, I grew up in newspapers. But I changed careers and went into communications working for Drew University, which is where I got my degree, my master's degree, and then catapulted into really what I think has been very life-changing for me, other than growing up in a family business. And that was really corporate and corporate communications to be more specific. I got a job at Gray Advertising, happened to move into New York City, working in corporate communications for Gray Advertising. And that paved the way to really understanding I loved large, complex organizations and affecting what people thought and learned and got excited about with their organizations through the internal corporate communications realm. So I left Drew because an opportunity arose with General Electric. And General Electric was a dream come true for me, not only a a, a Fortune 10 with a dynamic leader at the time, it was Jack Welsh, but a company with vast opportunities to learn so many different industries. As you know, GE was in everything from aerospace to lighting, to medical systems, to entertainment. And it was just an incredible learning forum for me. But I did move in the role of communications with GE 
I stayed in communications, but not in locations. And by that, I mean, I moved in in six years to four different General Electric businesses. And I moved up in responsibility from a manager to finally a, a director level position and all in GE Aerospace. But I moved to different businesses and different geographies within those six years. So interesting from a personal standpoint. My business, GE Aerospace, was sold. And uh, the acquiring company was a company that was not as progressive in promoting not just young professionals, but females. And I could read that in the culture. So decided to look beyond because I didn't want to go to the acquiring company and secured an opportunity with Duracell, a global brand, very different industry again, moving out of aerospace into batteries, consumer goods. And uh, I had a uh, position leading global communications with Duracell. I was really happy there, by the way. But an opportunity arose 18 months after I went to Duracell to work for a CEO, Larry Bossidy, who happened to have left G at the, GE at the time. He was their number two leader under Welsh. And he had become the CEO of Allied Signal, which uh, is now called Honeywell, and was leading a phenomenal change management uh, initiative uh, similar to how Welsh had been leading change management aggressively at General Electric. And I received uh, a job opportunity at Allied Signal leading uh, global internal communications across the entire corporate sphere. And that encompassed many different lines of business. And that was a thrill, as was the opportunity to work for Larry Bossidy. So I changed jobs again. This is at a time when people weren't. Right. You remember that, Beverly. People weren't changing jobs. How did you transition successfully from position to position? From those positions on? I hear what you're saying. You, You move from job to job, from location to location. Did you have to do anything? How did you avail yourself of the opportunities? How were you tapped? Were you tapped or did you have to be proactive and put yourself out there to say, this is something I want to do. I want more. I want to do something different. How did you transition from position to position successfully? Absolutely. And and that's an important question because uh, don't wait to be tapped. Nobody should wait to be tapped. Um, You need to proactively advocate your value daily. And, and, and that's what I did. And I don't mean it in a boastful way, but, um, I worked in technical businesses, aerospace industry, with a liberal arts degree and having to demonstrate the value that I could bring to the vice president of operations or engineering was something that I realized was vital if not only was I going to get accepted and most importantly, get invited to their business table to learn their business, but also that I could help them affect the workforce changes that were needed to achieve the business strategies, which were changing rapidly. So I had to proactively help them understand uh, having your people understand first and then support new initiatives, new directions is really a core component of what me as a corporate communicator can do in helping you. Even though I didn't have a technical degree, 
which was very celebrated and cherished in those businesses, they needed to learn that I can help them with the human side of the business, which is the hardest thing to catalyze and get supportive of change. And and I don't care what the business is or industry, it's getting the people to rally. That's the toughest hurdle. So yes, I had to, I had to show and demonstrate every day the value I could bring them. That's important. And being able to persuade people that you can add value. Yeah. If you can do that, you can become an invaluable commodity, employee support. Absolutely. And I think another thing is you really have to keep, that's why I say proactive. And the other thing is really being open-minded. Um, I talked about, you know, I went from advertising to General Electric, which was aerospace, to Duracell, which and then I went to Allied Signal. My last corporate job before I started my company, Dooling Company in 98, was PSENG, which, which is the top in the top five energy providers in the United States. I was in all different industries yes. and I had to really keep an open mind and, and confidence and say, I've got to learn the industries. There are fundamentals to my position in communications that are steadfast. And the hardest thing, as I mentioned, is galvanizing people and it doesn't matter what industry, but I had to be open to wanting to learn new businesses. And I think that's another thing. I see people get very stuck in their function or their department, and they don't look enough horizontally in their organizations. That's true. It's an up and down, you know, promote me up. And sometimes laterally is this equally as important because you gain more varied skill set, viewpoint, and you meet different people. All of that's important. Without a doubt, the people piece, what you just talked about, the networking. And again, that isn't something that someone's going to come tap you on and say, here, I'm going to help you uh, meet all these vast people in my network. You need to take a proactiveness to go out there and want to meet people on your own and be confident that you can do so. You know, Linda, I want to get into networking, you know, do a deep dive into that because especially in this virtual world we're living in now, but we keep talking about being proactive and the need to sell yourself, to promote yourself. How does a person do that who doesn't have the personality? So getting out of your comfort zone in the dual leadership experience program that you mentioned at the introduction is something that we work extensively with our young professionals on. The value of getting your mind open to possibilities will take you so far in life, regardless of whatever career stage you are. And I think helping people understand whether you're an introvert, I know this is hard for introverts, harder than I'm, I'm an extrovert, but it doesn't matter that there is this openness that will bring new possibilities for your growth. And as uncomfortable as you may feel, Ultimately, people want to succeed in their careers, and you can't succeed just sitting still in my own little cave. Right now, it's people that help people advance, and it was in the in the in-person world. It is true in our now remote world. So having yourself really come to terms that I can't be the lone ranger in the corner office or just, I'll say now, in my home office and succeed. I need to be able to be connected to others to, as you said, uh, what I really believe so strongly in is learning with and from them. I want to learn about them and I want to learn from them. There's so many opportunities that I think people fail to recognize. When we were working in an office, 
we didn't take advantage of introducing ourselves to someone we might not have known. And now it's not as easy to do. You might, you, you're not running into anyone in the, in the cafeteria or as you walk into the building. You, you know, you're, as you said, you're isolated at home with your, with your computer, your laptop. But we have to figure a way to get past that. And, and that's one of the troubling things, at least from my perspective. I know people want, some people want to be proactive and they just don't have the personality. They're not comfortable talking to people they don't know or putting themselves out there. And I think that we need to find the key to unlock that door. And this, this is a bold first step, but enlisting a mentor to help you, someone that you see and admire because they have that skill set of whether being proactive or personable. But this is where a mentor or a coach comes into play. And, you know, we all accept that professional athletes have coaches. They need them, college athletes, to help them excel. Well, you also need a career coach or mentor to help you get out of that comfort zone, to help you see new possibilities within yourself and stretch and advance. Because, you know, people like industries, if you stagnate, you become obsolete. You know something else that people can do? They can practice at home in front of a mirror. It may not be the same thing. You're looking at yourself, but you can see how you look. You may even want to record yourself so that you can hear how you sound. You know, write out just a brief summary of who you are, what you do, what you're looking for, and practice that. One, uh, a person that I met when I wrote my first book, that's what she did. And she said it was so helpful to her. And she was very withdrawn, but she needed to find a job. And that's what she did before her interview. She looked at the night before she put on her interview outfit. She knew what she was going to look like. She had practiced her spiel. They gave her a job, a higher level job than she was even applying for. She was qualified, but she hadn't pushed herself out there before. Mirrors can help. Yeah. And, and you know what, Beverly, today, now that we're behind screens and if you're on a, uh, whether it's a go to meeting or Zoom or whatever provider you have in, in your video conferencing now, you're looking at yourself. You got your camera on. And while you may be looking at other people, you also can look at yourself and you should use that as a tutorial for yourself. Watch yourself. Watch your body language. Look at how you're projecting visually. Listen to how you're sounding. I mean, one silver lining to come out of our remote world is that you do have every day looking at yourself on that screen yourself. And do you like what you look or not? No, you're absolutely right. And let me just give our listeners a tip. Go to YouTube and find the videos that give you suggestions for how to improve your virtual look. It, there's a wealth of information on YouTube about that. The lighting, the positioning of your screen for women, makeup, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. It's very helpful. And it does help you present yourself in a, a professional fashion. It's an, it ha- may help you improve your appearance for virtual exchanges, which is what we're going to be doing for a while. But let's get back to, uh, to networking. We talked about virtual networking. Do you have any specific tips for how 
we can be more effective in our in our virtual networking. Well, to your point, we now don't have the opportunity to, in my case, walk into my favorite coffee coffee shop, have to stand in line for a couple minutes and make small talk with a person either in front or back of me and meet somebody new. Just happened in my lap. I have to be much more proactive uh, in this virtual world. And I actually set goals every day to meet at least two to three new people. For me personally, um, one of my biggest resources is LinkedIn. And I utilize it daily. I utilize it as a way to connect to people, whether it is something that I have read that has been intriguing or somebody that is a connection uh, with a colleague of mine as I go through and look in their profile. But it is one of the best platforms right now at your fingertips for being able to meet People new every day, either in industries you're in, in different industries, with skills you admire, no reason that you cannot connect. There's one other one that has become very powerful for me, Beverly, and that is my alumni network. I happened to mention at the onset, I went to for my undergraduate degree, Syracuse University. Syracuse has alumni organizations across the U.S. There's actually one where you are in North Jersey that's very active. And these alumni associations have gone virtual in their regular programming. And I have, over the past now five months, taken advantage of virtual alumni organization events as a way of exponentially increasing my network. And it has been amazing. Well, that's great. Those are good tips. I'm going to use some of those. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I would add it to the book, but the book is a done deal at this point, so I can't do that. But that that really is very helpful. And, it, you know, being virtual gives you some kind of protection. You're not really putting yourself out there. It's almost like being on the telephone. <laughs> they, can, they can see you if you want to be seen. And if you don't want to be seen, you can not be seen. You cannot be heard. You can get used to the group over time and then ease yourself into it if you feel when you feel more comfortable, if that's what you choose to do for those who are hesitant. But that leaves what you've described opens the door to a lot of opportunities that people may not have otherwise considered. Absolutely. And there are professional organizations that you may have belonged to and had in-person meetings. In most of these, they have finally now shifted to having virtual events. Go to them, but go to them and pay attention and you can see, you can get on the, on the, whether the chat functions and get the names of people who are exchanging back and forth. Make a point of, Getting to know some of those people. I want to meet three new people. I'm going to join in a uh, virtual webinar in an industry that I'm in. Make a point of not just attending, but I I can't get off this webinar unless I meet three new people and connect with them at least through the chat function. Now, that's an excellent idea. Excellent. I was on a webinar yesterday and there was a person that I want to connect with. So now I've got to circle back around, see how I can get her contact information because I want her to be a guest on my podcast because I think she could, uh, she can provide information that people would find useful. So you're right. I, you know, as, as recently as yesterday, I had the same experience 
there are opportunities. And that's the other thing. One of my tips is you have to learn to recognize and take advantage of opportunities because they may not present themselves a second time. And I don't think people fully appreciate that. They'll say, oh, I'll do it next time. It may not, there may not be an opportunity the next time. There may not be a next time. Strike while the iron is hot. Procrastination doesn't necessarily become positive in its effect. No, it doesn't. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So now, Linda, if you had it to do all over again, would you do anything differently Uh, with respect to your career, I mean? My answer is yes. And it's not that I look back with regrets. I have, I feel very honored and blessed. I'm healthy. I've had a wonderful career. I have worked very, very hard. And I, I again, attribute that to having two parents who started businesses from nothing and watched them work hard. But I didn't get coached when uh, I selected my majors uh, in, 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 uh, in college, and I'll say in my undergraduate. Today, it is very, very common, almost expected for undergraduates to have dual majors. It really wasn't when I was in college. And if I was going to go back, although I'm glad I'm not in college right now when kids are wearing masks and learning behind screens, but I would have done a business dual major. And coupling my liberal arts degree with having a business dual major. At the time, it was not a popular thing. Very few dual majors outside of the college that you were in at the university. I was in the College of Arts and Arts and Sciences. But today, I look back and I said, that is one thing I wished that I had done. What do you think it would have given you that you didn't acquire on your own? So remember, I grew up in a family business and a family business was wonderful in that it exposed me to a production end. Uh, in, 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 case, in the case of my mother's commercial printing end. You have a front office, you have a back office, you've got a a bunch of uh, three-shift employees, hourly employees working on printing presses. I got to see all aspects, but the fact is they were family businesses employed collectively about 80 people. Never really understood organizations of 8,000 people or 80,000 people. Uh, I, I see. And so the dauntingness of the size would have been something I would have been instantly comfortable with and said, you know, whatever you learned at an organization of 80 people in my family's business really are core ingredients in an organization of 8,000 or 80,000. But it's not something that I intuitively knew at the time. I was going to say that because your perspective about your family's workforce would have found you, would have served you well wherever you worked. Correct. Because you had the respect for workers, people generally, and workers individually, regardless of what they did, what level they worked at. That's the important thing. And that's what I try to convey in in my writings. You know, everyone is entitled to respect until they show you that they're not. And the people who run the, the cafeteria, the maintenance people, they have information that other people don't have. So if you think that, you know, you're a rising star and you don't need to be bothered with those people, think again, if only because they deserve respect and they, they, they're they working for a living. 
they're making a contribution to the company, but they are, they know where the bodies are buried. They know where all the information and the secrets lie. They can be helpful or they can be harmful to to a person's career if they choose to. And the best leaders that, and I, since I do spend a large amount of my career, both my corporate career and since my consultancy was formed uh, back in uh, 98 with leaders, leaders at all levels in all industries, the truly authentic leaders are at ease, whether they are speaking with someone on the loading dock or someone around their executive roundtable with them. And having that versatility and authenticity is absolutely, uh, I, I mean, those are your key ingredients for success. People see through fake very easily. And I've worked a lot of my life with leaders who would either be a regular facet in their workplace or what I would call the occasional visitor. They weren't curious enough to go out and see what people at lower level parts of their business were doing and ask and asking them for their ideas. And so those strangers in the workplace never get the true ardent support of their workforce. It's the people who feel that senior leader can understand, appreciate, and really value so we were talking about different leadership styles and the leader that is truly authentic is the one that is at comfort regardless of the level of the person they're speaking with or the location. And it's those infrequent visitors, as I put them, the ones who only come out when there's a show and tell or a problem that will not earn the respect or the support of their workforce because they haven't shown their genuine appreciation for the people. And you can't fake authenticity. People will see through that veil very quickly. No, I agree. And you know, the other part, the other part of that is they should be comfortable with you. Even if they believe that you're authentic, they should be comfortable with you. If you can make them comfortable so that they're not looking up, you know, or, or you're some big deal. If they can feel comfortable you can ask them about their family. Ask them about something that you remember that they're doing. Pay attention to the information they give you so that when you come back around again, hopefully this won't be your only trip, you can follow up with them. That makes people feel that you've connected with them, but it also makes them feel more a part of the overall organization. Given that I've spent a lot of my work experience, and particularly even as a consultant in uh, technical arenas, I do a lot of work in intense engineering environments, such as aerospace and defense. The technical side of the work means that I deal with a lot of engineers, finance people that like numbers more than people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's a very difficult task, but an important task is to help them understand is, I know that you like doing the cool side, the technical side of the business. But once you say I do to becoming a manager, your job is exclusively focused on people. And you need to absolutely celebrate 
the fact that you have the privilege of working with people and not just working on things because you have one job as a leader, as a manager, and that's to make the folks who are on your team even better at what they do. It's not for you to do that cool technical work you liked when you were an individual contributor. Amen to that. Well, before we end, Linda, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? So this is a time that hopefully passes quickly, although like you said at the onset, I'm not sure it will either. And whatever it passes to will be different. But while we are in this present of virtual workplace and work from anywhere is to constantly hone your curiosity. I think curiosity is one of the great fuels for sanity right now as much as for success. And every day, how many different people can you learn from and about? And what are you doing to develop yourself professionally and personally? And I look a lot right now because our our seasons are changing. I am hearing more than ever, particularly from the young professionals of our leadership program, that anxiety and depression are setting in. So not ignoring your wellness, not ignoring your workouts, getting back into your routines if you've been negligent on that. And as well as a mental routine, you know, what are you reading? How are you staying current? And also that connection routine. Who are those two or three new exciting people that you're going to go connect with and learn from and about today? So this continuous learning and honing your curiosity, I think more than ever, is an ingredient that needs to become a part of everyone's workday. No, I agree. That's very helpful advice. And hopefully our listeners will take heed. It's something they can do from home. They can go online and free material. There's a wealth of free information online that will help with self-development. They just have to pursue it. Go and look for it. Go to YouTube. As I said, there's just, there are opportunities to improve yourself, to improve your circumstances. You do have to take the initiative to go out and get it for yourself. That's step one. One more thing, and I think because we don't see as much as we used to being in the workplace, you need to have a very strong fixation, strong understanding on what value you are bringing every day to your organization. And you need to be able to say it, communicate it, and demonstrate it because you're not as readily seen as you used to be when we were in a physical workplace. That's right. That's critical. That's really excellent advice, Linda. I hadn't really considered that. But, you know, out of sight, out of mind, if they don't see you, they may not think of you. Absolutely. So, yes, you have to reinforce your presence in some way. So you have to figure out how to do that. You know, it may just be sending an article that you've come across to everyone on your team, including your supervisor, you know, offering suggestions about wellness that if you're a member of a group like Linda's and Linda, you may want to share if that if it's appropriate, how people can find out about your your leadership group, your duly leadership experience. And if they're interested how they could go about either joining or finding out how to join. So as you mentioned, this is a charitable organization exclusively underwritten by my uh, consultancy, Doolian Company. So our programming is offered at no charge. 
to become a member. Again, it is a complimentary membership. Simply go to our website, which is dle.dooley.com. And when you get to our website, you'll see a page that says programs, and it covers the variety of weekly programming that we do, workshops, training sessions, networking sessions. We also have a YouTube channel that is rich in its offerings of podcasts and videos for skills development. So please come join us. Our nation, our network is nationwide and diverse, as I mentioned, by industry, by position, and by experience. So it's an exciting learning and networking opportunity for you. And it's all at your fingertips at no charge. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Linda. And thank you for your time and your patience today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.